Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Striving for Sainthood. Um, over the next seven episodes, we're going to talk about the seven sacraments of the Catholic Church. So instead of doing all the sacraments into one episode, which I know I can't do justice towards, we'll be taking it sacrament by sacrament over seven episodes. So today we'll start with the very first sacrament, sacrament of baptism. So let's get into it. Okay, so before we start talking about baptism, we have to define what a sacrament is. I think all my Catholic listeners know what it is, but for anyone else that's listening, this is the definition of a sacrament given by the Catechism of the Catholic Church. And it says this, A sacrament is a visible grace from the invisible God that was instituted by Christ in the Gospels. Therefore, what that means is the sacraments are infallible, they're a part of Catholic dogma, and they're not meant to change at all. Now there's seven sacraments. Baptism, Reconciliation, Eucharist, Confirmation, Matrimony, Holy Orders, and Anointing of the Sick. So over the next seven weeks, we'll take a look at all these sacraments. But for today, let's get started with Baptism. Okay, so Baptism. What is it? I think every Christian knows what Baptism is. It's kind of something you hear growing up through Sunday school, through conversations you hear at church with your parents. Whatever it is, Baptism is a, it's a common word that everyone kind of knows. But maybe for those who don't or want like a refresher, let's, let's go through it. What does baptism mean? The word baptism is derived from the Greek word bapto, which means to wash or to immerse. So very naturally, the action comes from the definition, right? We immerse ourselves and we wash ourselves in the sanctifying waters of Christ, right? We are baptized into his family. And before we get into more details about what baptism looks like, maybe we can talk about the similarities between a Catholic baptism and a baptism that happens in the other Christian churches around the world. The biggest similarity is the fact that both a Catholic baptism and a Christian baptism, they use water because water is what Christ was baptized with by John the Baptist. And Christ says it in the gospel when he's talking to Nicodemus. To enter the kingdom of heaven, you must be born again of water and spirit. So Christ explicitly states that you must be born again through water. That's why water is used as a way to refresh our souls, to be brought into his family, right? So that's the biggest similarity. And the other big similarity that we share with Christians worldwide is the belief that before baptism, you're not really brought into the kingdom of God. You're not part of Christ's family, right? Because Christ says it, that you need to be born again through water and spirit. So until then, you, you know, you might be learning of Christ, you might be learning of the faith, but until you are baptized, that is that moment that you, you are embraced by Christ, you are embraced by God into his family, into the church. Okay, now, what are some differences between a Catholic baptism and the way that other Christians do baptism? Well, the biggest difference is the fact that a Catholic baptism happens at infancy. But other baptisms happen at the age where the person being baptized can make the choice if they want to be baptized into the family, into the church. That's the biggest difference. And I like to use an analogy to explain why infant baptism is necessary and why it's required for the soul. So imagine there's a virus going, on, going around in the world, you know, like there is one right now, and we know this virus to be sin, right? If there's a vaccine that can help get rid of this virus, would you not want to administer that vaccine as soon as possible? 
You would, right? Naturally, you don't want this virus to wreak havoc to your body to leave you broken. In the same way, if sin is that virus, and if everyone is born with original sin, we want to act as quickly as possible to remove that stain from our soul, to remove, to remove original sin, and baptism does that. So why wait 10, 12, 15, however many years, when you can be baptized as soon as possible to be brought into the family of Christ? Right? If we wait too long to where the person can decide if they want to be baptized, it might be too late. And I don't think anyone who loves Christ wants to wait or make it too late to where they're not saved. Right? That's why baptism should be applied at infancy from the very beginning. And we'll look into scripture about where it says that. I also want to touch upon something I just said about original sin because there's one more small difference that not a majority of Christians believe, right? A majority of Christians believe this thing, but a small group doesn't really look at baptism in this regenerative, uh, salvific way. In the sense that they look at baptism as a public witnessing of the faith to the community. That's all they kind of view it as. Some Christians view baptism in the sense that once you have proclaimed your faith in front of the church community by being baptized and being immersed in the water, you were brought into the family. Done deal. Check it off your list. Move on. Well, that is partly true. What the Catholic Church teaches and what a majority of Christians believe is that baptism not only is a public witnessing of the faith, but you're also being purified and cleansed of the original sin that everyone bears from birth. Right? This is, this is a very simple and very important Christian doctrine to understand. The original sin has been passed down through generations because of Adam and Eve's original sin. So because of that, we need to have a way to rid of that original stain from our sin to be brought into the family of God. Because the family of God is, is a place where there, where there is no sin. So that's the most important part about baptism. Not only is it a public witnessing to the church community, but more importantly, the most important part is that baptism is a sacrament that purifies you and cleanses you of original sin, that you may be worthy to enter into the kingdom of God, and that you can now be worthy of the salvation of Christ. And I'm really driving this point home because this is the most important part about baptism. If we lose the meaning behind this, we lose the importance of what baptism is and the gift that Christ has given us, right? Not only does baptism wash away sins, but it also remits the punishment of sin. What is the punishment of original sin? The fact that we were kicked out of the Garden of Eden, we were kicked out of paradise. So if baptism washes away sin, but it also remits the punishment of sin, that means we are now eligible for heaven. We're now eligible for the kingdom of God. That punishment that we were kicked out is taken away. That's, that's the beautiful part about it. If we just limit the definition of baptism to pouring the water over us, and then boom, we say that we're faithful to Christ in front of everyone else, okay, cool, but that's very surface level. If we dive in deeper, we see the graces, the mercy, the merit that Christ has placed on our souls so that now we can partake in this heavenly kingdom. It's a very nuanced thing because a majority of Christians believe in both the public witnessing and the cleansing of the original sin. But because some people don't, I really wanted to solidify the theological basis about what baptism does, the salvific process of baptism. Okay, so now that we got that stuff out of the way, let's look into scripture. Let's see where in scripture it points towards infant baptism. Now granted, it's not explicitly stated, but only implicitly. But that's okay because not a lot of the things that we believe in are explicitly stated. Now, to my point, nowhere in the Bible does it also say that the person has to be of the right age to be baptized. So, just keep that in mind. Okay, so let's look at what Jesus has to say and what the apostles had to say about infant baptism. So, my favorite piece of scripture to use when pointing towards infant baptism is from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 19, verse 14. 
The verse says this, Let the children come to me and do not prevent them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Okay, so I love this verse for multiple reasons. One, it shows how loving and how caring the Lord is towards everyone, especially children. Considering back then, society deemed children to have no worth and they had little value. And secondly, I love this verse because it shows that the salvation of the Lord is for everyone, not just adults or people who can just say they have faith in the Lord, but He came to save all people. And Jesus says that the kingdom of God is for children such as these. Now, is this verse explicit? No, but I've already said this time and time again, but I think this is a beautiful verse to use to show that infant baptism is beautiful, it's necessary, whatever words you want to use. Now, moving on to some of the words that the apostles have said. In the Acts of the Apostles, when they're out there preaching and evangelizing and baptizing everyone left and right, there are specific verses that point towards infant baptism once again. One of those verses says this, She was baptized and her household. Another one says, Himself was baptized and all his house immediately. And why are these verses important or significant? Well, it points to the fact that, that baptism wasn't just for the individual person that proclaimed their faith. But the moment they proclaimed their faith, their, their entire household was baptized. And I don't know about you, but when I think of a household or a family, I immediately think of kids, especially young kids or kids in their teens, maybe kids who haven't even heard of the gospel. But if you, the head of the household, has proclaimed your faith in Christ, the Christian tradition from the early church itself showed that the rest of the family would partake in this baptism. And at that time for Jewish people, circumcision was how you knew this person was a faithful Jew. And if Christ is the fulfillment of all the Old Testament laws and all the Jewish traditions, that means baptism is the new circumcision, the circumcision of Christ. And if baptism is the new circumcision, shouldn't baptism be applied at a young age? Because for the Jewish people, circumcision was administered eight days after the child was born. It was at such a young age. And if baptism is a new covenant, shouldn't that be applied at such a young age also? This is another tradition and practice and it speaks about it in Colossians as well when St. Paul talks about baptism being the new circumcision. This points to the fact that infant baptism is something that the early church practiced and is very heavily implied through scripture. And I'll provide one more piece of scripture from the Acts of Apostles where Peter's talking to a crowd. And I think this is also a great implication that infant baptism was prevalent in the early church and should still be practiced today. So this is what Peter says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, for the promise is to you and to your children. So explicitly, Peter says that the gift of baptism, the gift of repentance, the gift of God is for you and your children. And the word child also implies infant. And I know these examples of scripture might not be enough because these are only implications. But maybe this can be a stepping stone for you to understand why we practice infant baptism. And maybe apart from scripture, we can kind of change our mode of thinking to what the early church fathers also preached. Because when we look at tradition, we see that over 1100, 1200, 1300 years, the church unanimously believed in infant baptism and there was not a major disagreement about it. So here are some examples of what the church fathers had to say about infant baptism. St. Hippolytus of Rome says this, the children shall be baptized first. If there are any children who cannot answer for themselves, let their parents answer for them or someone else from their family. And that's from AD 215. And this is what St. Gregory of Nazines has to say. Have you an infant child? Do not let sin get any opportunity, but let him be sanctified from his childhood. From his very tenderest age, let him be consecrated by the Spirit. 
That's from 8381. And here's one more example from St. John Chrysostom. For this reason we baptize even infants, though they are not defiled by personal sin, so that they may be given to the holiness, righteousness, adoption, inheritance, and brotherhood with Christ. And that's from 8388. And from these three examples you can see, from the 1st, 2nd, and 3rd centuries, the church believed that baptism was meant for the infants. And I know I'm harping so much on infant baptism, and that's not even the main point of this entire episode. It's about the beauty, the significance, and the importance of baptism as a whole. But because this is a Catholic podcast, I thought I would kind of touch upon a very important part of the Catholic Church, which is infant baptism. And as we close up this episode, I want to re-emphasize the most important part about baptism. More than me being Catholic and whatever else, this is a shared truth between all Christians which is, baptism brings us into the family of Christ. And I know I've said that over and over again this whole episode, and you might have gotten annoyed by that. But that's because I believe that's the most important part about baptism, that we are given the graces and the merits to be finally brought into His kingdom, to be brought into the brotherhood, into the kingship, into the sonship of what we deserve to be as a child of God. Without baptism, we can't even begin to walk in in, in the life of Christ. To walk in this path of holiness. So maybe next time we're in prayer, we can spend some time thanking the Lord for the gift of baptism, that He gave us a means of entering into His kingdom, that He gave us a way to share this eternal joy in heaven. I've said a lot, and maybe what I've said isn't enough, so I'll link an article um, that explains baptism scripturally and from the catechism, and it's, it's a really thorough article that can help, un- help you understand more about the beauty and the gift of baptism. And like we do at the end of every episode, we reflect on a saint. Well, this time this episode is coming out on a different feast day, not of a saint, but on the feast of the exaltation of the Holy Cross. So if anyone has a time to go to a Mass, maybe spend time just reflecting and giving gratitude about the great gift of the Holy Cross, the cross on which Christ died for us, the cross on which Christ opened up the way to heaven. The cross on which Christ took the punishment of sin and made us meritable again. As we reflect on this holy feast, we pray that we have the strength, that we have the grace to hold on to His cross and to carry our daily crosses to follow Him deeper and deeper until we are called to enter His kingdom. I'll see you guys next time.